Welcome back, Buffalo Bills fans. My name is Matt Warren. I am the editor-in-chief at buffalorumblings.com. Now that the college football national championship game has been played, the Bills are in full NFL draft mode. Over at buffalorumblings.com, we've been looking at a lot of things like potential free agents that the Bills might lose, potential free agents that the Bills might sign. We've been starting our State of the Buffalo Bills roster series. We looked at the quarterback positions and running back positions already. We're going to do wide receivers and tight ends and the offensive line for the next couple weeks before we start looking at the defense. And all along through that process, we're going to start looking at replacement options for guys that the Bills are losing or could lose, as well as in-house replacement options, draft replacement options, all that stuff that could be on the table going forward into the offseason. I hope you were able to watch some of the wildcard games this weekend. You saw some things that were certainly interesting, and we'll get to some of those in a little bit. Um, the thing I found most interesting from the wildcard weekend games was how the Los Angeles Chargers defended Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens, going with four defensive linemen and seven defensive backs on almost every single snap, trying to keep him contained. And um, the Patriots did that a little bit against the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen in week 16. So uh, we've got uh, Jeff Kontrowski, you might know him better as Scarecrow, going through some of the analysis in the All-22 to kind of see if that's the wave of the future. You know, after Kiko Alonso got his, his butt handed to him in the first game against the Miami Dolphins by Josh Allen, um, maybe more and more teams are going to start using more defensive backs to counteract some of these rushing quarterbacks. So all that stuff is going on at buffalorumblings.com right now. Uh, here on Buffalo Rumblings Q&A, you can always contact us and leave a voicemail at 716-508-0405. You can tweet at us at rumblings Q&A with the word and spelled out in the middle. You can send us an email at buffalorumblings at spnation.com, all one word, Buffalo Rumblings with no space, no dots, anything like that. Um, you can also text message us at uh, voicemail line 716-508-0405. And this show is super boring if it's just me talking. It's super boring if we don't get your questions. So thanks to everyone who sent in questions this week and uh, moving forward. It's time for the question I'm getting a lot. This week's question I'm getting a lot revolves around Steelers wide receiver Antonio Brown, who was uh, deactivated for week 17 by head coach Mike Tomlin after allegedly getting into a verbal altercation with his quarterback Ben Roethlisberger and then throwing a football at Roethlisberger during a walkthrough before their uh, season finale. Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of financial sense for the Steelers to trade Brown because his cap hit, whether he's on or off the team, is going to be about the same. But of course, there's always the you know subverting the locker room thing or you know challenging Mike Tomlin's authority or even Ben Roethlisberger's authority. So there's 
a lot of reasons why the Steelers might want to trade Brown, but the financial ramifications is not one of them. Buffalo obviously has the cap space to to trade for Brown, and they have the draft picks to trade for Brown. But you know he's going to be thirty one before the start of the two thousand nineteen season. Do you really want to risk trading draft picks that are going to be on your team for at least four years, maybe five, six, seven years, if you can resign them or, or keep them under contract using? you know, the tools at your disposal. Um, do you want to sacrifice the future for the present? Now he's better than any of the free agent options they'll have a chance to acquire, but you know, he's already fought with a successful quarterback and a successful head coach. What's he going to do with a, a second year quarterback and a third year head coach? I just, I don't see it as a good fit. Obviously the talent fit would work. Um, but I just don't see the fit with the player and the coach and, and all that other stuff. So, um, yeah, Brandon Bean has said over and over that he wants to build through the the NFL draft in order to sustain long-term success. And so that's why I just don't see the, the, the trade for Antonio Brown being in the cards. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this resolves itself, whether he ends up staying in Pittsburgh, which is obviously the most likely option, or if he ends up being traded to another team like the Patriots or another team looking for a top-end wide receiver. Uh, if Robin Gronkowski retires, it would make some sense at least for them uh, to pair Brown with with Tom Brady to give him a, a pass-catching option uh, with Gronk gone. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, I... I I don't love it for Josh Allen in Buffalo. I don't love it for Sean McDermott in Buffalo. So, I mean, I just, I don't see it as a possibility. That's the question I'm getting a lot this week. Hi, Matt. This is Mike calling from Jets country and Suffolk County, Long Island, a lifetime Bills fan who moved down here, proud to represent the Bills downstate. Uh, my question for today is that the Bills recently signed Dakeel Duke-Williams um, from the Edmonton Eskimos of the CFL, who led them in receiving yards and receiving TDs last year, having a fantastic year. Um, so my question is, do you recall any CFL players who successfully transitioned to the NFL and uh, whether you think that he will be successful in Buffalo, and if yes, whether it will affect their free agent and draft planning. Go Bills. Thank you. Hi, Mike. Thanks for your question, and thanks for being a Bills fan down in New York Jets country. Dekeel Williams coming from Auburn, well, actually being dismissed from Auburn and then going to the CFL. He uh, actually did play for the Los Angeles Rams briefly as an undrafted free agent. Uh, but this is before Sean McVay became their head coach. Um, then he goes up to Edmonton, becomes a stellar player for the Edmonton Eskimos of the Canadian Football League, setting, as you said, um, setting the team marks for receiving yards and receiving touchdowns uh, this past season. He asked out of his contract so he could try to come play in the NFL. And it is a different game up there. I want I want to make sure people know that um, you can be moving toward the line of scrimmage when the ball is snapped, something you can't do in the NFL. Uh, offenses can have two players moving at the same time where you can only have one player moving 
at a time on offense before the snap. So there's a couple different things. The field is smaller. Um, so there's just a few different things that are different about the CFL and the NFL that you just need to keep in mind. And it's one of the reasons that you don't often see wide receivers transitioning to the NFL from the CFL. Uh, with that being said, there have been some very successful <clears throat> historical and uh, more recent CFL to NFL uh, converts. Uh, if you go back a little bit in time, Warren Moon is the biggest one. He's, he was in the CFL for five years. I uh, had a great um, run there with with great winning five great cups, which is um, their championship game before coming to the NFL and playing for another 17 seasons. Um, Pro Football Hall of Famer, obviously, uh, just a great career. Um, other guys like Joe Theismann, Doug Flutie, Jeff Garcia, obviously had different levels of success in the NFL after being CFL quarterbacks. Uh, the most recent example I can think of is. <clears throat> excuse me, defensive end Cameron Wake of the Miami Dolphins. The Bills actually tried to sign him when he was coming from the CFL, but he goes to Miami instead and becomes a very nice pass rusher for Miami. He was with the British Columbia Lions in 2007 and had 17 sacks, uh, was named the CFL Rookie of the Year, and then 23 sacks the next year uh, before coming to Miami and playing there for um, – like almost a decade or something like that. He's been terrorizing Bill's quarterbacks and, and Bill's offensive linemen uh, since coming to the the league. At wide receiver, the closest I can get is Joe Horn, who played the 1995 season for the Memphis Mad Dogs of the CFL when they were still in the United States. Um, he had a 1,000-yard season before being selected by the Kansas City Chiefs in the following year's draft. Um, he was just up there to fill a one-year gap between his college career and his NFL career. Um, and that's the only one in the recent history to do anything really um, from the CFL to the NFL. Chad Johnson went to the CFL after his NFL career, um, but it, it did not involve him coming back to the NFL after that, obviously. Uh, Fred Bolitnikoff played 14 seasons with the Oakland Raiders. <clears throat> uh, but did spend one year with the Montreal Alouettes in 1980. But again, that was after his NFL career. So there isn't really a track record of wide receivers coming from the CFL to the NFL. There's actually not a great track record of any players coming from the CFL to the NFL. I mean, you're talking about just a, a handful in the last uh, decade. So that would include Cameron Wake, of course. Buffalo does have one player on their roster who spent some time in the CFL, and that's Eddie Yarbrough. Though he doesn't have any stats from the CFL, he spent a little bit of time up there between being released by the Denver Broncos in 2016 and being signed by the Buffalo Bills in 2017. As far as whether or not that changes how Buffalo is going to approach free agency of the draft. I don't think it's going to change either of those things. They signed him to a reserve future contract, which is um, a league minimum deal, no guaranteed money, no problem getting rid of him uh, or signing him to a longer deal at the end of the season. They'll own his rights no matter what. So I, um, I think they'll just approach it as if it would be nice if he could contribute, kind of like an undrafted free agent, whether you're talking about an Isaiah McKenzie or a, a Robert Foster or a Cam Phillips last year. Um, they're probably still going to go in and try to upgrade that number one wide receiver spot and add some competition in the middle and down the line. 
they're definitely not going to be counting on Williams to come in and light the league on fire after filling out a lead just two years ago with the Los Angeles Rams. Thanks for your question, Mike, and go Bills. All right, thanks for taking my call. This is Scott from Ohio. Statistically, I thought our defense was good. I find it hard to believe it was a 91% approval rating. The first third of the season, uh, our defense was gashed and didn't do any improvement until the head coach did an intervention to help right the ship. Still, further into the season, our run was suspect. Why not look to improve with a new defensive coordinator? Just keep the 4-3 since it's our second year into the 4-3, and we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Thanks. Thanks for your question, Scott. Uh, Scott's referring to the Buffalo Rumblings fan approval poll of Leslie Frazier, the Bills defensive coordinator, where more than 90% of Bills fans that voted on our site said that they approved of the job that Frazier has done as the Bills defensive coordinator. And I was kind of surprised that both Brian Dable's numbers and Leslie Frazier's numbers were both high. I know we saw some improvement at the end of the year from both offense and defense, but 90% approvals are are rare, <laughs> as, uh, as we know in Bills land. Uh, let's take a look back at what you said, though, about uh, the Bills defense in particular, and you were speaking about the rushing off, uh, rushing defense, excuse me. Uh, so let's go back and look. The Bills gave up 100 yards rushing in four of their first five games uh, to the Baltimore Ravens, Los Angeles Chargers, Green Bay Packers, and Tennessee Titans. Um, uh, but really, those numbers aren't like fluky high. You know, the Bills gave up 300 yards in week three to the Minnesota Vikings total, 14 rushing yards. Uh, They gave up 221 yards to the Titans in week five, but 100 of that was on the ground. So, I mean, that kind of skews it a little bit. Uh, Yeah, they were blown out by the Ravens and Chargers and Packers uh, and gave up a lot of yards to all three of those teams, uh, 350 yards or more to all three of those teams. But but after that, they really did settle down. They had that... um, bad games uh, in back-to-back games against the Indianapolis Colts and New England Patriots. Uh, but that wasn't, it was rushing yards against the Colts for sure, 220 yards allowed on the ground. And then later 226 yards on the ground allowed to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But when Blake Bortles is passing for 100 yards, I don't think that matters much that you're giving up a lot of rushing yards. Uh, and then, of course, the game against the Patriots in Week 16 where they gave up 273 yards rushing. So, in the 16 games they played in 2018, it was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Half of them, they gave up 100 yards or more. And then in Week 17 against the Dolphins, they gave up 99 rushing yards. So pretty pretty close to 100 yards rushing that week. I don't necessarily think that um, I would blame Frazier for all of that. Uh, yeah, the Bills uh, did Sean McDermott take a larger hand in the defensive game planning uh, early in the season after the Bills had those two consecutive blowouts against the Ravens and Chargers. Um, part of that is, you know, quarterbacking, of course. Uh, they had Nathan Peterman in the first game and um, were down by three touchdowns very early in that game. So the 
the Ravens could just kind of tee back and run the ball, but they only gained 117 yards. So that is that a circumstance or is that a, you know, the Bills defense stinks? Um, against the Chargers, it was a little bit more problematic. Certainly against the Packers, it was problematic. And the Colts, for sure, in the first half of the season. Um, I'm a big numbers guy. And when you look at the Bills' rushing defense, they were 10th in the league in yards per attempt allowed. That's a pretty good number. Um, I like looking at metadata and data over the course of an entire season as opposed to individual games like that. So they were only allowing 4.2 rushing yards per attempt. They were first in passing yards allowed, um, third in net yards passing against. So they were put in a lot of bad situations as far as opponents starting in Bill's territory. And so they were... 18th in points allowed, but only second in yards allowed total. So I'm pretty happy with the job Leslie Frazier has been doing. I was, like I said, surprised that he got 91% of the uh, fan approval, but especially with Tremaine Edmonds starting the season as the youngest linebacker and the youngest player in the league, Matt Milano in his second season, Tredavious wiping a young cornerback and kind of all the young players that they've been having in really important spots on the defense, plus the bad spots that they were put in by their offense and special teams. I definitely do not think that the defense is the problem with the Buffalo Bills and would definitely sign up for another year of Leslie Frazier as the defensive coordinator, even if he has a little bit of Sean McDermott in his ear telling him um, maybe how to improve every now and then. Thanks again for the question. This week's Twitter question of the week comes in from at Enfuego Duggo, and he asks, at ninth overall, are we going to take an offensive lineman? Well, if you've been listening to Buffalo Rumley's Q&A, uh, I've been saying over and over again that offensive lineman is definitely in play at the number nine selection. The Bills are also going to be in the market for a wide receiver. Um, if you go to the SB Nation mock draft from this week, the first offensive lineman comes off the board at number five. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers take Jonah Williams, the offensive tackle from Alabama. Two picks later, the Jacksonville Jaguars take Greg Little from Ole Miss. And the Bills are ninth, and they actually take the third offensive tackle off the board, Cody Ford from Oklahoma. Now Ford is a right tackle only, meaning Deion Dawkins would stay at left tackle. If the Bills were able to get one of those two top offensive tackles that went number five and number seven, maybe they would move Dawkins to guard or right tackle and put Williams or Little at left tackle to, uh, to protect Josh Allen's blind side. Um, I don't love this pick of Cody Ford. Uh, I like Ford. I don't love the value of it because there are some pretty awesome guys on the board, like Ed Oliver from Houston, who would come in and immediately replace Kyle Williams on the defensive line. And uh, just there's wide receivers um, that are on the board. There's just other places the Bills could go with this pick, as opposed to taking the third best offensive lineman in the top nine picks. Um, 
but with that being said, obviously that would address the need uh, at the at the tackle position for the Bills and maybe make LaShawn McCoy and Allen and Brian Dable happy. So I'm uh, I think that offensive lineman is definitely in play for them at number nine, um, and I would suspect that the second round and third round and fourth round and and throughout the draft you might end up seeing. Um, three or four draft picks along the Bills' offensive line. Uh, thanks for the question. It was tweeted to us at Rumlings Q and A with the word and spelled out in the middle. Howdy. This is Mark from Florida. Kind of an under-the-radar question, I think. Uh, Shaq Lawson, he is... Uh, coming off his best season and i was just curious to know if this is just an uptick and he's just coming into his own or did he kind of elevate his play because he's in a what i do believe is a de facto contract year um i think the bills get to pick up his option uh, choose to pick up his option in the off season um we know that players can sometimes decide that they want to play when that contract is coming so uh curious to know what you guys think appreciate it Thanks for your question to the voicemail line at 716-508-0405. Lawson finished the 2018 season with a career-best two sacks against the Miami Dolphins and really did have a very nice 2018 season. He uh, finished the season with a career-high of four sacks that ties his 2017 number. Uh, he finished the season with 30 tackles uh, and only six starts. And while his numbers aren't quite great, as good on a per game basis as they were in 2017, he still had a nice year as a rotational piece in Sean McDermott's defense um, in place of, and in relief of Trent Murphy, who was in and out of the lineup with injuries all year. I think Lawson uh, definitely is a guy you want to keep on a roster. However, if the Bills exercise that fifth-year option, which wouldn't be for the 2019 season, it would be for the 2020 season, the cap hit on that will be more than $9 million. And I just don't see the kind of production out of Lawson that would say $9 million to me. Um, they could obviously choose to re-sign him to a, a smaller deal. But if I'm Lawson, I don't know if I would necessarily take that. So I think the reality of the situation is that, yeah, he wasn't a de facto contract year where the Bills have to decide if they want that 2020 season for $9 million plus on their, on their salary cap. With a guy like Shaq Lawson, I don't think he played up to that number. While he was very good in 2018 compared to what he was – was in 2016 and 2017. I just don't see them committing to him uh, in 2020 with that number. Thanks for the question. Hey, Matt, this is Anthony Collin from Albany, New York. Uh, I know you're always looking for the hard-hitting questions. So for this week's podcast, is there any NFL head coach that could defeat Coach Sean McDermott in the octagon? So we'd love to get your thoughts on this. Keep up the great work. Anthony, thanks for calling in to Buffalo Rumblings Q&A. 
Anthony does our daily links on buffalorumlinks.com. During the offseason, you see those five times a week. During the regular season, you see him seven days a week. He's also one of the hosts on our Believe podcast, which is on a separate channel. You can search for that. It's B-I-L-L-I-E-V-E, Believe. And he's asking a question that I think Joe Biscalia and Matthew Fairburn were the first ones to tackle on their excellent podcast, the Bills Beat podcast, about who would be the most difficult head coach to to take down in the in the octagon in mixed martial arts. And of course, Sean McDermott has a wrestling background, which would help him. He is devoted to taking care of his body and stretching and lifting and all of that great stuff that, that would help him in this situation. Um, so I, I think he was definitely going to be on the short list. So let's tackle it. I fired up the old Wikipedia machine and uh, pulled out some of the guys that even uh, ones that had just been recently hired. So let's go in alphabetical order like uh, Wikipedia does. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, the new Arizona Cardinals head coach. McDermott wins that. I'm not even going to entertain anything else. Uh, Dan Quinn from the Atlanta Falcons definitely looks scrappy. Um, I don't know. I, I Dan Quinn uh, was born in 1970. Uh, Sean McDermott was born in 1974. So he's got four years of youth on his side. Um, he's got the wrestling background. I, I'm going to give the edge to Sean McDermott. Just the edge. Uh, just looks like he, he's a little bit better uh, put together. Uh, John Harbaugh for the Ravens. Nah. Nah. Ron Rivera is an interesting case because he's a former NFL linebacker. And of course he's McDermott's mentor. So maybe he has some inside information on how to take down McDermott. Maybe he's trained with him before. I don't know, but former NFL linebacker. So let's just say maybe Ron Rivera, maybe Uh, Matt Nagy. No Chicago bears. No, no, not really. Um, I just, I mean, McDermott has the crazy look in his eye and, and Nagy. I just don't see that. The Bengals and Browns currently don't have head coaches. Um, but even if you go backwards a little bit and go with Marvin Lewis for the Bengals, there's no way in heck he's beaten Sean McDermott at anything other than like, I don't know, a French fry eating contest. And um, with Cleveland Browns, Craig Williams is crazy, but he's old. And uh, <laughs> Hugh Jackson, no, and we're not even going to go there. Uh, Jason Garrett, uh if he is an android, as many people have claimed in the past, that he has some sort of uh, mechanical workings going on underneath his exterior, then maybe he has a shot, but I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, Denver Broncos, uh, again, uh, a wide open uh, position right now. Matt Patricia um, kind of looks the part, but then if you've seen his face without his beard, if you've seen him as he was shaven back when he was first hired in the NFL, uh, he just looks like a cute, cuddly teddy bear. So I understand why he grew the beard. Um, and I think that uh, McDermott outlasts him in the octagon. Uh, Matt LaFleur for the Packers. I mean, Sean McDermott would probably end him in about 35 seconds, just looking at the guy. Um, uh, Bill O'Brien from the Houston Texans. He's surly, but that doesn't make him like lethal. Uh, Frank Reich. I love you, Frank. 
Um, I will always have a special place in my heart for you, but you're too gentle when it comes to the, uh, you know, the submission moves and stuff like that. Uh, Doug Marone, no. Andy Reid, no. Anthony Lynn, no. Sean McVay, no. Uh, Adam Gase with the Miami Dolphins is gone, of course, but um, he wouldn't have been able to do it either. Um, Mike Zimmer, no. Minnesota Vikings, Bill Belichick, no. Sean Payton, no. Pat Shermer, no. Um, the New York Jets had Todd Bowles. That wouldn't have worked either. John Gruden might just be crazy enough. Might. Might be crazy enough. Doug Peterson, no. Mike Tomlin's another guy. He keeps himself in shape. He's you know, a former defensive back, just like just like McDermott, maybe. Um, I'll give it the edge to the wrestling moves of McDermott. Cal Hanishan, Kyle Shanahan, no. Pete Carroll, no. With the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, newly hired. Um, I'd be more worried about him, like, I don't know, having a heart attack and dying in the middle of the in the middle of the fight. Um, that gets us to probably the guy that I would be most worried about, and that's Mike Vrabel. Um, one year younger than McDermott, played in the NFL very recently. Um, a guy that definitely could could probably take down McDermott. Um, that's not to say McDermott couldn't win, um, but I think that you know if they fought ten times, I think Vrabel is going to win a couple. And uh, McDermott's going to win a couple. So, uh, you know, most recently played in the NFL. Oh, let's see here. Most recently played in the NFL in 2010. So he's not that far removed uh, from being in peak physical condition. So he's a guy that definitely could uh, could do that. Uh, and then Jay Gruden at the end of the list. Nah, nah. So, I mean, there's one, maybe two or three guys that might be able to to beat Sean McDermott in the octagon, Anthony. So thanks for taking us off on that tangent during uh, this off-season episode of Buffalo Rumblings Q&A. Uh, make sure to follow him at Anth Marino, A-N-T-H Marino on Twitter, and follow the Believe Podcast. Subscribe over there. Uh, they would love to have you as a subscriber and listener over at Believe. Thanks to everyone who called us today at 716-508-0405. Thanks to everyone who tweeted at us at rumblings Q and A with the word and spelled out in the middle. We also accept questions by email at buffalorumblings at sbnation.com and in the comments section of our show notes, uh, which you can find at buffalorumblings.com every Wednesday when our episode drops. Please subscribe to the Buffalo Rumblings podcast channel. You'll get Circling the Wagons every Monday. You'll get the Blitzed Bills podcast every Thursday. And of course, Buffalo Rumblings Q&A every Wednesday. And we are looking to add one or two more podcasts to the mix this offseason. We'll be taking questions on the 2019 NFL Draft, uh, veteran cuts, free agency, probably some coaching decisions like we did today. 
call us ask us anything about any of that stuff little stuff it could be strange like who could sean mcdermott beat up in a fight or it can be about actual buffalo bills on the field stuff that might actually matter thanks again for listening and go bills Thank you.